Robin, calling Robin. Robin here, over. No, not you, Robin. The other Robin. What's up, Robin? Well, this is just disturbing. Disturbing yet magnificent. People of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. <laughs> Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, up fanboy it's the fanboy planet podcast special edition and now here's your host special Derek McCaw you know Nate doesn't pause he just goes into tones that only dogs can hear that's different true I can't do that that was I paused for dramatic effect uh, it's a combination of, of William Shatner and Tim Curry in the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs> so if anybody can get that image out of their mind, good luck. This is Derek McCoy, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. We are podcasting. Actually, this we're doing two episodes in one night because this is uh, – this. so you'll hear this second. Uh, this will be on – You're April. always letting them peek behind the curtain. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. And then you ex- then you over-explain it like you footnote my peek behind the curtain. So well, so then you know we're the only podcast that requires a, 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 you know, a codex. Footnotes. So, uh, so uh, this is April 9th uh, when we're recording this. This is not a – well, this is a news podcast because what happened was last weekend, uh, Nate and I attended uh, WonderCon, and so and it, it was Nate's baby's first convention. So, uh, unlike Luke, we could not put Mary Jane into service uh, to get much uh, interview, but um, it's all there right. There weren't any babies there for her to interview. There were plenty of babies, but they just sort of like poked. We discovered. Th- and I only I, I was only with uh, uh, Nate and his wife and, and Mary Jane um, twice during the weekend, where people will just, especially at a convention, come up and just smile and stare at a baby, and at all places, a convention is not the place to do that. No, so it made no. <laughs> it was very like there was one moment where we were like. Look at all looking at each other going, do you, do you know who that woman is? Right, right. <laughs> is she counting <laughs> calories had, right but, now? But we had seen some baby cosplay. So I, I, I posted at least one. You know, there was a baby as Rocket. So it was a full-on Guardians yes. of the Galaxy. And there was a, a mandrake root with three sisters who cosplay as faculty at Hogwarts. And that baby screamed on command. So I'm very impressed. Because, uh, you know, my son would not follow any cues. So uh, that was great for that baby. But anyway, we, I, I did get some interviews. And so that's what tonight's podcast is, to uh, share those interviews and those conversations, which some I'd like to transcribe when I have a moment in the next week or so. But I also think that you lose something, say... You gain something by listening to them. You gain, Yeah, uh, you, you, you gain something by listening because certainly... When you're talking to Greg Sipes, who is Beast Boy on the Teen Titans, and I mean he literally is Beast Boy on the Teen Titans, you got to hear that voice. You've got to hear how he's saying it, and, and it's wonderful. But we're going to start off, 
I think tonight, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Rick, with uh, kind of a revisit to what has been one of my favorite interviews that we've ever done. Indeed. Uh, It was a free comic book day. I think when I talked to him, I said three years ago, but I think it was actually four years ago, uh, with James Robinson, who at the time uh, was just launching into, he'd done some Justice League work, he was going to D.C. Now he's at Marvel. Had all the Starman hardbacks come out at that all point? Because I have them all signed that day Yeah, by I think him. that would be. So, uh, and I know I have them all signed. So, uh, yes, we had a very long uh, conversation, which some was kind of like a lost episode. It went off into the ether because of technical difficulties. We recreated as much as we could. But it was a very honest um moving conversation and you know and i say this occasionally on the on the website that you know the up and down side of doing what what i do is you you do get to meet your heroes and it's and it's always with a little are they gonna be as cool as you really want them to be and then when they are it and and most of the time don't get me wrong most of the time they are i can't even I, i shouldn't even say most of the time I can't recall any time when somebody didn't, it wasn't at least pleasant, but when they take it from a level of pleasant to, yes, this is the conversation I'd kind of always hoped I'd get to have with you, that is an amazing sensation. Had it with James Robinson, had it with Neil Gaiman, had it with James Robinson again. And so uh, I ran into him, uh, bumped into him at the hotel, didn't run into him, that had been rude, full tilt, boom. Uh, no, bumped into the hotel the night before WonderCon, and I just walked up to say hello and said, you know, I to see you and he said oh i'm having a spotlight panel come to that and we shall arrange to do a longer uh, to do a long interview so he offered that was so kind so that's what we've got here he's got uh he's, he's wrapping up fantastic four he just finished all all, all new invaders uh he's writing two secret wars that was a books. great run on all news all absolutely new and there's more to come post secret war as Good. far as plot lines and so forth um, but he's got two books in Secret Wars, uh, Age of Ultron versus Marvel Zombies and Armor Wars. And the way he describes them both are books that I would not have picked up on my own. But because he's writing them and, and the enthusiasm and the take he has on those titles, I think I'm going to buy them and try. So without further ado, here is a long conversation with James Robinson. We are here with James Robinson, who some listeners may remember a couple of years ago on Free Comic Book Day. We did a fantastic long interview. There's a chance to kind of catch up, see what's going on at, on, at WonderCon. Uh, you've got, in addition to wrapping up, what well, I guess Invaders already did wrap up. Yes. Fantastic Four coming to an end within yes. the next couple of weeks. Uh, Secret Wars books, uh, Airboy and Heaven coming from yes. Image. So a lot of stuff in the hopper. So let's talk about what's the recent past and, and the future. So, well, the recent past, I wrapped up Invaders. Uh, there were a lot of plot points that I wasn't able to, to get to. I, I guess I started that book not with the, with the idea that it would just be a book that would go on and on, and I had, it didn't occur to me that, you know, the sales wouldn't be there. So uh, I set up a lot of plots that I need to resolve in other books in the future, and I will. Um, the, the biggest one being that the Eternals have seemingly been corrupted and uh, they have this device that can now control Galactus. So you're going to see that will hopefully be uh, resolved in one of the books that I'll be doing after Secret Wars. Um, then obviously Fantastic Four, which I was... Um, didn't know it would be ending... I, I intended it to be about 25 issues, and then I was told uh, no, we have to end it earlier. Um, 
I, I wondered about that. Like it, when you came on board, that that was not, that was with an open ending. So, uh, sort of an, uh, roughly an open ending, and I thought you know two years is about the right amount of time to be on a book. So I, um, so I, uh, you know, but one of the things about it was there was there was going to be a sort of a, a, a secondary shorter storyline after the big one that you're reading at the moment with Doctor Doom which was why Valeria goes to, originally went to stay with him and then I, I roughly when you see her going I've got to go home again that was rough when I found out the book was ending so um, I sort of cut that that one plot point short uh, due to you know his involvement in Secret Wars and all of that which you'll, you'll obviously see unfold in, 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 the, in the book that Hickman's working on um, but everything else, I mean, DC did a great job of allowing me the time and the extra pages and everything else. Marvel favored the time. Oh, did I say yeah, DC? <laughs> Sorry. Marvel, well, it's yeah, Marvel gave me the time to um, to wrap things up and, and do, uh, to give the story the, the, the pages it, it deserved. And, and, you know, having had books wrapped up at, at other companies where it tends to be, let's get on with the new thing and just get this thing finished and it's not important and get the good artist onto the next project and we'll, we'll give you some newbie that doesn't necessarily know, uh, is, is a, a skilled storyteller. You know, I've, I've had that happen to me and it's always a little bit disheartening. Whereas with this particular project, you know, Leonard Kirk stayed, has stayed on it. They haven't, they didn't take him off, you know. He's seen it through. And then he just sort of roasts the occasion, like the last issue, which is, uh, his, it's like a 60-page comic. He does, 30, we do the, the final issue, our, our final story is 35 pages. It's almost two issues long. And he did all the, all the artwork in a month, and it's beautiful. Like, normally when people rush, rush work, it tends to show. And I don't know that rush is the right word with him. He, he worked quickly, but it, there, is no, there was no dipping quality. Short cutting, right. Okay. And then you've got uh, two Secret Wars books. You've got the... Age of Ultron versus Marvel Zombies, which yesterday in your spotlight you mentioned. Yes. Seems like a, you know, it's kind of a funny, high concept, so I'm sure you're taking it seriously. And uh, I'm sorry that I'm blanking on the, the other one. The Armor Wars. The Armor Wars, which was also interesting. So when Secret Wars bubbles up, did they say, here's a list of titles and you can justify some? Because, the, because even if the title existed in Marvel history, some of the takes are things that are new to well, Secret Wars. a lot of this, a lot of what happened, I mean, and obviously certain books got given to creators that were, but a lot of, there was a lot of discussion at one of the Marvel summits and the way it worked then was just like, these things are incredibly exciting and fruitful meetings in that you're just throwing ideas in, you can't be proprietary or selfish you have to just you know give ideas so people just throwing ideas back and forth in, in you know well what about this and what about that and what about this and then at the end of the day you sort of they just sort of go okay well these are the projects that we really like and who whoever had the strongest who had whoever the most ideas or felt the strongest about ended up hitting that book and for instance armor wars I was throwing ideas into it, for, but I did not ever think I would be... I've never written... I mean, I, actually, I was going to say I've never written Iron Man, but I wrote one issue when it was part of the Heroes Reborn universe. That's my, oh, okay. But that's my only contact with Iron Man. And um, so uh, I certainly would not have thought my... Thought, in fact, I, I, I know for a fact there were some other books I, I thought I was going to be doing. But, but the... Like there's talk with these Secret Wars books that there'll be stuff coming out of them that will go into, that will continue on in the main DC universe. They, all these books matter, 
So one of the things that will be coming out of Armor Wars, and I don't, I don't want to reveal it because it's a surprise, but, I, but that, it was my idea, and it was like, well, this is what we should have in the Marvel Universe. And so that is all. that was why I'm doing this book. And then, you know, I remembered Armor Wars as a series. I read it when I was a boy. You know, and and I for some reason I thought there was more to it. Like there had been more Armor Wars stuff afterwards, but really it's a very simple story. So coming up with anything building on that is is hard. So I came up with this whole world of Technopolis, where every everyone in the whole world has to wear armor. And then with it, so so that's the status quo. Yeah. That's just the like the life that they lead. So within that world, that's just everyone is normal. Uh, there's a, a, a murder of a specific, very specific character. And it's the mystery of why he was murdered and and what he knew that led to his death and all of these sort of secrets. So the book, whilst it does have, you know, armor-powered battles and all of that, the kingpin is in a giant version of um, of the gold armor and Tony Stark, Arno Stark, Thor is Jim Rhodes with a sort of war machine meets Thor outfit. Everyone's in armor. There's a, a, a dark noiry film element to it. And then with Age of Ultron, again, that was me just actually interested in, like, the artificial intelligence of, um, of, uh, that exists within Marvel. And, and then at the same time, there was talk of, of, you know, the Age of Ultron, and there was also Marvel Zombies, and the idea of like, them being put together and having this one, like, element of humanity in the midst of this deadlands of, of inhumanity holding on to for their existence. That sort of became this story that, that was in my mind, and then then there's one character who's sent into this world I can't I don't want to spoil it but there's one character who has to adjust to technology he's never seen and a world that he just can't comprehend has to rise to rise to be the hero so that so that so that sort of so again it was like a, a, a story where yes the obvious thing would just be zombies being zany and, and black the black comedy of those zombies and all them always been hungry and eating heroes and then the and then the sort of dark, dystopian, te- technological world of, um, of, uh, of Ultron. And I thought, you know, let's do something interesting with that. And I think you'll find a lot of the Secret Wars books by other writers have done the same thing, where they've taken what the, the obvious take and thrown it out and then, and then come up with something that's a little bit more unique and special. So I, I think, you know, as I said in the... Um, as I said in the panel, I said it, I said it in an interview with uh, with an, uh, another 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 uh, website earlier. You know, I see online people are very critical of all this secret war stuff, but they're forgetting. Well, I mean, and people online tend to just be mean spirited and negative anyway. But they're forgetting that like this wasn't thrown, thrown together in five minutes or in half an hour or what have you. It was took a long time to put together, and the the guy that put a lot of it together was Jonathan Hickman, who isn't a uh, and it, you know he's one of the smartest guys writing comic books, so they can expect a lot of like quality work from this in, in this series. Yeah, I mean it's been organic. I read that that you know this is, I mean, so uh, not to necessarily put you know, comparing apples and oranges in, in comic book universes and so forth, but would you say that's one thing that Marvel has, is playing this very long game? They know where they're going. It's not like they're they've switched. You know, like oh the, the market needs this so. No, it's not like that. I mean, and I, I don't, I'm not inferring, I mean, inferring, I'm not implying that anybody else is either. I don't know what any other companies right, are doing. Right, I'm saying, not to... But I do know what Marvel's doing, and they're doing it, it's, it was planned, it was very carefully planned, it has been very carefully planned, and 
one of the things, though, is that they, they do... I mean, I, I, as I'm talking to you, I've been very careful with what I say because they're very strict about confidentiality and, and everything else and how much people can know and how much they can't know. Right. So Because they do want those surprises. I mean, I think one of the things that we've lost as a comic book community that you'll, you'll remember, I, I think I'll probably maybe both of you remember, was, you know, when comic books... Even when comic books were first going to comic book stores there was much more of a sense of excitement and, and the surprise of the issues and stuff like that before the internet took over and it became this just rush to prejudgment where... Oh, and even early, as you brought up yesterday, Armageddon 2001, which still is bitter to me about changing yeah. you know, Captain Adam from being the monarch when that was so obvious. That's where the series was going and that it was meant to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, they're, so they're very... And that, when was that, 1990 or something like that? Yeah. So... We are, we are, um, it's worse now, and, and I think that like books are literally sometimes it feels like they're reviewed and the verdict is made on them before they've even been published. Yeah. So, with that in mind, I think you know, Marvel's trying to keep a lot of those surprises. I mean, obviously, you've got to leak enough stuff that people are excited by what they're hearing, yeah. but at the same time, you know, if you know the whole story, why buy it? You know, and there are genuine moments of, of shock in all these books that you'll see. So, you know, I'm very excited about those. And then after that, I have a couple of books that will be announced. I can't say what they are, yeah. but I'm also very excited about those. And I think readers will be, you know, they're, but they're very different. Both The two books are very different in terms of the, who they, who's in them and the kind of books they are. I think one of them is, I mean, I'm, even now I'm probably saying a little bit too much, but one of them suits my sort of bigger, the bigger tapestry that I write. I have written with, with various books, both DC and Marvel. And then the other book is more of an intimate book that will appeal more, I think, to fans of Starman and things like that. So I think you're going to see both sides of me. And again, you know, Marvel's been very generous in giving me a lot of support and a lot of greater freedom. Yeah. And let's talk about that in, in, in your career. I mean, you started off, uh, you know, I think I first noticed with Firearm with Malibu way back, yes. way back when. And you mentioned a graphic novel that I feel like I had to seek out, London Stark. I've yes. never found it, never read it, and I need to do that. Um, so you kind of came at it from an independent, as everybody's got to start somewhere, but you became very identified as uh, DC. And not to get into any of those right. situations no, recently, no, but, no. but you've been identified. Yeah. Kind of, did you find yourself making kind of an adjustment um, to Marvel? And then you started doing a lot of creator-owned work again after a long time where it felt like, you know, you were well, in a house. Well, I think, you know, the creator-owned stuff, I think everybody... Everybody that works in comics is starting to feel that that urge to do do your own project, you know, and just see how how well you can do it. And uh, you know, and it's it is it is a very different discipline to be working for Marvel or for DC and working, you know, with, within certain guidelines. I mean, obviously you get freedom, but at the same time, there is there are things you can and can't do there's things you can and can't do with Superman or Batman or Spider-Man you know and that's understood going in it's not It's not like this is a, a surprise to any of the writers with a, with a creator own book obviously you can do what you like I mean you look at um, look at what Kirkman's done with especially it comes to mind like Invincible which in many ways is a very in some ways started off as a very traditional comic book and it's really gone all over the place. It's really wherever he's want, decided to take it, and that that freedom is very interesting, but and, and exciting, and and and, uh, and uh, it's um, what's the word? It's a real lure as a writer to, to to see how good you are at that kind of writing. 
and you, and, I, and you see some of these guys try and they go back to you know the the world of Marvel and DC because it's it's what they were better at and other people you know do very well in that you know look at Brubaker or uh, Matt Fraction I mean they do they do and Remender you know some people do very well with these image books so I'm just it's just my time to try that and I you know Saviors wasn't a, a great success and I think we myself and Jay Bone came into it not necessarily knowing everything that is you have to do uh, as a owner of a creator own book in terms of promotion, in terms of the discipline of books being of books coming out on time, solicitation material. There's a lot of things that as a when you work for one of the big two or Valiant, I suppose, or Dark Horse, things are done for you. You don't have to think about some of this stuff. So with now having experienced that, I know that when when I do you know, as I'm doing Airboy and with Heaven there's a, there's a lot more of that that taken care of. I've also found a, I've got a, an editor, Joel, who um, is, is really really done amazing work in picking up the slack and doing a great job of, of taking care of things. So I think that you know now with, with these new books, which I'm very excited about, you'll see it's just a different side of me. But it's all comic books. It's all what I enjoy doing. Well, yeah, we saw some of the preview you art on Airboy yesterday, and we did see a different side of you. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you're joking. Yeah, there's, 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 you know, drugs, nudity. Um, it's, it's a very, you know, and it's semi-autobiographical. As I said yesterday, it's inspired to some, some degree by. Um, sorry, can we? Mm-hmm. I just would love to get the someone. I would love an iced tea or liquid, just because I'm getting already sure, dry. Sure. So we were talking a bit about Airboy. Airboy. Um, which is uh, a semi-autobiographical. It's a, yes, so it's a semi, semi-autobiographical book, and you know a lot of there were a lot of influences, um, as I said in the panel yesterday. You know, obviously the work of uh, Huntress Thompson, uh, just with his. You know, I don't know how fictionalized that is, but just his fearless portrayal of himself as this uh, enjoyer of, of drugs and, and a certain kind of life, while documenting it and, and, and experiencing you know the, the documenting the experience experiencing the document it's a, it's a very singular way that Hunter S. Thompson has always worked and also like adaptation the film by Char- Charlie Kaufman mm-hmm. that originally that really was um, there's a book called The Orchid Thief by Susan Orleans and uh, it's a very dry book about or- orchid poaching but there's really very little of interest in it and Charlie Kaufman was hired to write that book. He couldn't find a hook on it, and then it just became this more and more fictionalized version of him trying to come up with the idea for this book. And Susan Orleans then became this adulterous murderess and all this stuff that wasn't even true. And he had it in the script, and people were like, "What the hell have you done?" And then ultimately, it got made. Um, so that was definitely uh, the way the way that fiction, rather not fiction, fact becomes this larger than life tableau. And then also, um, I've always loved the work of Chester Brown, and uh, you know, Yummy Fur, and and, and uh, he he did uh, the a, a biography of Louis Riel, who was a a, a Canadian radical of uh, the late 1800s, who was uh, in a in a much like Waco, was his him and his followers were all killed by the Mounties. It was a, sort of a, a, a blot on the on the on the history of the Mounties back then. So he's always done interesting work. Then he did this book called Paying for It, which is about his his acceptance of the fact that he 
he, um, he, he used prostitutes. And it's just a very human talk about, you know, being a lonely man and that prostitution is sort of, you know, especially when it's when it's uh, it doesn't have pimps and all of the sort of dark side that can happen when it's lawless. Uh, it's actually, you know, a, 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 it's a business. And it, but, it, but in the course of this business, he actually made friends with some of these girls and sort of had sort of relationships with them to some degree. And it's just a very heartfelt story. So that also was very much an influence to me in terms of writing this book. So, yes, there are larger life elements. It's, you know, me me and Greg Hinkle going through this sort of uh, odyssey of drug taking and, and, and alcohol and prom- prom- promiscuous sex that leads to us maybe hallucinating or maybe literally meeting Airboy and going into his world and all of that sort of strange, the strange thing, the strange uh, uh, whether things are real or not, the hallucinatory elements, the dreamlike quality of fiction. It's all sort of touched upon in some degree. Um, and in the course of it, you know, but all, uh, the serious stuff is it to some way it does deal with my, my in my past, my misspent past with alcohol and drugs and just... Not, not, not being happy in my life, and getting to a point that's, uh, you know, where I am happy in my life, where now I'm, I don't drink, and I'm, you know, much lead, lead a much better, better existence, and my creativity is much more uh, crystal. My brain is clearer. Just everything about it is more positive. So there is a message to the story, absolutely. But at the same time, I just wanted to make it as outrageous as I could, and also as honest as I could. Why use Airboy as a character? Image come to you and say, you know, no, this was all my, no, no, this was all my idea. I mean, in the in the comic, it's portrayed as if as an image comes to me, but it was it was me having this idea and realizing, well, this should be perfect. And then, you know, no, I, I think at the around about the same time, I just noticed that Airboy was public domain, and it surprised me because of the the Eclipse stuff in the seventies, but upon a little bit of research discovering that they own the rights to the, 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 the those rights are held those the, the, the Eclipse books by Chuck Ditson okay. but the underlying character it doesn't right so what Chuck did you won't be touching on because he owns that right but if you go back to that original Hillman book in the 40s yes and, and, and you could do an, an Airboy book and so could everybody could do an Airboy book it's just public domain much like much like um the uh, the Nida who's the Nida and it was called something else but like Black Terror right, all those it, books it. that Alan Moore Alan Moore did versions of those mm-hmm. in his uh, Terrascura was that what he's called Terra, yeah, Terrascura and uh, but then they're also done in Dynamite has done versions of those same characters with Alex Ross I was doing yes so it's the same principle Project Super Pro- Project Super, super Weapon something, something like yeah. that yes Superpower Superpower that's it okay um well, you know, the question, I think, when you talk about this semi-autobiography, what, what led you to realize that your life needed to make a change? Just a series of, just little by little, seeing, seeing that I wasn't happy, I wasn't happy writing, I wasn't happy, I was, you know, in a, I was in a marriage where, you know, with a wonderful woman that should have made me happy, and I just wasn't able to, able to make myself happy or her happy. Just, just so, so many little things. The signs have been there for a long time, and then finally it was enough. And you know, ultimately, when I made the decision to to stop drinking, um, the moment I made that decision, everything fell into place. I felt right and optimistic about my life, and um, I haven't really looked back. But, but, um, 
but you know, it, so it wasn't it wasn't any particularly calamitous thing. It was just seeing that if I stayed on the path I was on, you know, my right. I mean, you know, at times I would still do good work, but I just wasn't happy in my own head and in my own heart, and. Um, you know, and, and I wasn't. I, I just needed needed to fix things, so I t- took took that step. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about heaven. Yes, uh, with Philip Tan. Philip Tan, that's right. And uh, so the upshot is there's been a war between man and angels in the future uh, through through technology, uh, through you know advanced technology. They've actually uh, developed the technology to breach the, the the dimensional portal between this plane and plane of heaven. And in the way that man is, when, when, when God, in the supreme power in the form that he takes or she takes, looks at what man has done, as opposed to going, you know, my children, I love you. He goes, what the hell have you, what, how could you have done all this horrible stuff in my name? What a terrible thing you've done. So man being man doesn't go, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're going to change and repent. They declare war on God. That, you know, in the way that sometimes a child, when a parent says you're doing wrong, doesn't say, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'll make, I'll do better. They say, to hell with you, Dad or Mom. I'm gonna, I'm gonna date that biker boyfriend, or I'm gonna, you know, get that drug, that drug habit, or whatever. You know, mankind, mankind does that. They, they've gone to war. It, it ends in a stalemate. Okay. Uh, if for a lot of reasons you find out and I don't want to give up too much history no, no, but, yeah. but ultimately the, the portal is closed but in closing it um, a, 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 a sizable amount of the of the angel, angelic army uh, and in, in heaven angels have a much more uh, nebulous form so what they do is they draw on whatever they're close to and take that form in some, in some way so that's why they're very human looking angels but because it's in the future where you know, man's manifest destiny has colonized alien races and everything else. You have alien. You know, God is. If, if, if there is a God, he isn't just Earth's God. He's a God of of the, the of Saturn's people and whoever else. You know, that just is logical, right? So, um, so there are sort of these angels take many different forms, and some of the characters are, are angels that have been left behind that are trying to find their place in this world where there's this uneasy acceptance of them. There are political figures that are beginning to work out a way to perhaps breach heaven a second time. There are there are humanists that, that want to uh, stop that happening. Others that want to make it happen for their own for their own gains. There are different figures pulling different strings. It's a, it's a very multi-layered book with lots of characters. Characters. Some characters you'll root for and then realize they're bad. Some characters you'll think are bad and slowly you'll see they're good. It's it's a, a big complex storyline that hopefully, if it sells and people like it, will go on for for quite some time. And Philip Tan is just doing the work of his life. It's a, it, it's very epic. It's, there'll be epic epic vistas, epic panels. It's it'll be quite quite a book. When that was announced, that was a few months ago, I think, at the name of Jackson. Yes. They, they brought it up and we, we did a little focus on it. Have you had any? Um, Say bad reaction from fans who might be religious. No, and no, and um, I, I, I welcome any any constructive discourse that comes from this book. I mean, I'm not. I, you'll, you'll see. I mean, I don't tend to be disrespectful. I respect any any anybody's faith who 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 
who, you know, the basic tenets of, of, of the Bible and the Quran is that you love your fellow man. I think that's the, the pretty much the one overriding rule of all of these religions, isn't it? So, you know, I respect anybody that goes that, that has that in their heart. And I think if, if that's if that's your point of view, then um, you're not going to be offended by this book at all. If you're one of these guys that uses your faith, be it Christianity or or or, or, um, or, or Islam or anything, as a way of you know directing hatred at someone else just because they think differently than you, then you might be offended by it. But I, that's just part of, this, of undertaking a story like this. When we talked a couple of years ago, I think it was. Well, I guess it's been almost four years, I think, when we, when we talked before. Um, you know, one of the things you told me, we had a really nice partner talk about what your work means, and one of the things you said is you're trying to define what it means to be a good man in this world. Do you feel that you've come closer? A little bit. A little bit. But it's, the, it's, the, it's funny, but, like, as I'm, as I'm, you know, I'm really trying to, like, fix my flaws as a person, but I still make mistakes. And I'm, like, the other day I was just thoughtless around a friend and I've like really done I've really um, I've got to fix like I really kind of wronged a friend of mine recently just by being just thoughtless and not being kind and, and so it still it still goes on um, and I, I and I think I don't think it, you ever have to you can ever you can ever get you can ever um, I don't think that you can ever take that for granted or just assume that you're on the right path because you have to check yourself so I don't know if I, I've ever got any closer than I was when I, we spoke last but I'm still trying Good. Well, thank you so much for taking thank the time thank you with very this much yeah yeah always a pleasure thank you absolutely and once again I want to thank James Robinson for that conversation and we are looking forward to his creator owned books with the image that he talked about there Heaven and, and Airboy again another one where I thought it was going to be one thing it's turning out to be something else and I can't wait. I couldn't have waited either way. It's funny. Airboy always had all the re- reruns of it have been different than you're expecting it. I think the Tim Truman one was. But I'm gonna say, Rick, you have no idea uh-huh. <laughs> what this one's gonna be oh, like. Oh no, yeah. So uh, I got some time after the spotlight panel to talk to the artist on Airboy, Greg Hinkle. This is his first professional work. Uh, I should take that back. He did, did have a Kickstarter. And he will mention this graphic novel, which is apparently now very hard to find. Uh, hoping it'll get a reprint so that I can take a look because his art really, you in particular, will love it. It's a cross between, it's heavily Jack Davis, but with Wally Wood layout kind of feel. So it's definitely cool. got kind of that, the classic mad feel and the classic EC feel. Yeah. And, um, really impressive stuff so what an and i mean this is kind of the kind of debut that people are going to be talking about for a long time because of the the approach to to the title and so forth and i feel kind of strangely honored that we got to be the first people to interview greg hinkle oh let's listen we are at wondercon with greg hinkle who is going to be the artist on the upcoming this is coming out in june i think from image first, comics first issue comes out june 3rd of airboy which um, I think I mentioned on the podcast a few months ago, thinking, fantastic, it's going to be a revival of, of the Hillman character by James Robinson. It's going to be wonderful. I think it is going to be wonderful, but it's not at all what I thought it was going to be. So uh, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about with James a little bit about that. But um, So how did you get involved in this project, which is now more, as he called it, semi-autobiographical, and the semi part is only that he's never actually met a fictional character. Uh, but it's very honest and 
And it seems from the art you showed that you guys are very good friends. You'd have to be from some of the things you drew. We uh, we met in San Francisco. We both used to shop at Isotope Comics. Mm-hmm. And so we'd attend a lot of the same after-hours parties. And we just ended up running into each other enough times that we were familiar. And, and I showed him some of my mini-comics work, and, and he remembered it. And didn't embarrass me with how bad it was. And um, I think it was WonderCon two years ago, I... I came to this very panel and and sat in the in the back and and waited until he was done and then we I, I showed him my graphic novel I was working on at the time and he said this is great let's work on a book together and, and sort of didn't really have an idea of what it was going to be at the time but the next year last year at the same panel it was like a rally point I guess this <laughs> panel um, afterwards he he kind of had a well, I guess it wasn't last year. It was after one of these panels. He had a, a more sure. fully formed idea of what Airboy was going to be and, and kind of asked me, how do you feel about male nudity and, and excessive drug use and indiscriminate sex? And I said, well, that sounds okay. I mean, and what about the book? Yeah, are we, we going to be drawing that or is that just coming on to me? It's just the, cre- it's the creative process. Yeah. Oh, um, poor James. <laughs> this, it, it, going back to what you said about him, him being really honest, this is, this is really him sort of exercising some demons um, and going through a lot of rehashing kind of a lot of what he went through a year ago when he stopped drinking or I guess it was a little bit longer than that now but um, yeah he gets really honest and he gets kind of personal with it so did you find that difficult at, at points like you know a side of him that maybe you had I've drawn all the known? sides of him now yeah. but, um, <laughs> oh yes <laughs> oh lord yeah, you are the first time I've seen somebody walk up at a panel at, from the convention and say I'm sorry you can't show that yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil what it was, but <laughs> I, I hear a lot of collaborators, a lot of creators talking about. Well, you got to really know your your, your co-creator to, to put out a good book, and I challenge them to know their co-creator better than I know mine. And I, I know every every curve on his body. It's the Greg Hingle challenge. I don't All right, think they answered that answered any question. <laughs> um, <It> raised a few. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was nice getting to see another side of James and to see a really honest. Uh, to, to see him honestly walk through a really hard point in his life, and I think a lot of that shines through, and I think it makes what could otherwise be a kind of cheap, gratuitous comic, I, f- I feel like it gives it a little bit more heart. Mm-hmm. Um, Had you been familiar with the Airboy character before, or no. did he bring that to you? He, he brought long? it to me, and I, I went and looked it up and said, this is great. I'd love to draw this guy. And I, don't, I don't care what Airboy's doing, but he's, he's, he looks like a bit fun to draw. Yeah. Uh, and then when he said I'd get to draw some of the air fighters and other Hillman characters, I said, yeah, let's do it. I was very excited, actually, to see Sky Wolf. Because I had an old Eclipse mug mm-hmm. with the air fighters on it, oh, you know, man. so Airboy and Sky Wolf, uh, you know, so it's like, it's sort of like seeing Dr. McCoy in the Star Trek movies. Like, I didn't realize that would mm-hmm. be important to me mm-hmm. until I saw that you did it. And I went, oh, good, good. <laughs> and you gave him a kind of an interesting look. So did you, did you feel like a lot of freedom to redesign, or was it an attempt to really say, like, this is going to be the classic character up against the real world? Well, the character Airboy Air is in public domain, but it's not the more current iteration of the character. Like, the Eclipse revival in the 80s, that is copyrighted. So we can oh, okay. we can use the old Hillman versions of the characters. You can use those designs, but not. But we can't use the new ones. So in terms of redesigning, I wasn't given a. Okay. I didn't have a whole lot of leeway, but I, I still wanted to 
differentiate them a little bit because when you go back and look at them, they all kind of look exactly the same. They're just sort of the generic, like six foot heroic, heroic male body. Mm-hmm. Their costumes are different, but the body type's all the same. And I, I thought it'd be more fun to play with body type and make Iron Ace really big. Yeah, and Sky Wolf was kind of like Sky slouching Wolf. and a little out of shape, just a little bit. I kind of, I kind of want him to feel like I thought he was middle aged, like an old Wolverine type character. He's the, he's the brawler. He's the He's the guy that'll swear at you and smack you in the mouth if you say something wrong. And in my in my head, this isn't coming from a script at all. Um, but you know, Flying Dutchman is just sort of the silent guy that stands at the back of the room. And Black Angel, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what she'll do to you. It'll be no, there was, a, there was a very good splash of, the, of, mm-hmm. of all of them that was really exciting mm-hmm. to see. Uh, and then, of course, there were other things that we're going <laughs> to see. But someone on the panel said they, that you reminded them, which had occurred to me looking at it. You reminded me a lot of. And it is a compliment, you know, the best of the EC, Wallywood. But actually, Jack Davis came to my mind mm-hmm. first, and you said, I'm more Jack Davis. And so that's what I thought, is it was like some of his serious work. Mm-hmm. I've been a fan of Jack Davis since, his, you know, since I can remember. And I've got all of his you know, art books, and I pull them out whenever I need to do a crowd scene or something. something cr- How would Jack Davis do it? How would Jack, J- Jack Davis draw this boot? He's very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> as hard as possible. Um, yeah, I, I like the feel of those old comics, um, the EC stuff and, and the old Mad stuff. Um, I just love all those artists. I, I'm drawn to them more than I'm drawn to, say, you know, the mainstream stuff that you'll see today. I, I enjoy the mainstream big two comics, and I felt this needed a little bit of that, but it, it also needs to feel kind of... Okay. And, and you had mentioned before we started recording that you had done a Kickstarter on a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. I think you alluded to it, showing it to James. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that graphic novel, and can people find it any you know at any place? Is there a place to look at what your work is? Uh, it's called The Rattler. I did it with Jason McNamara, who I also met in San Francisco at Isotope. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. It's, it's what got me the work with Airboy. Um, I wish it was available. We did a really small print run for a Kickstarter campaign, and it okay. sold out. There might be some in San Francisco at some of the comic stores. Okay. At, uh, the Mission Comics might have some. Isotope, I think, sold out, but Mission Comics might have some. I, I, I have one copy left to my name. <laughs> no, I, no, that's all right. It's just that maybe maybe there'll be interest from Airboy that someone will come back and say, let's, let's do a run. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, your artwork is, is very intriguing. Thank you. And <laughs> what we saw of Airboy... <laughs> You know, I'm making it sound like it's going to be a big joke on the listeners, but no, you know that it's uh, it's very, very interesting and very complicated. And I love the color palette. And, and James brought well. that to me fully formed. He, th- he said, "We should all be black and white, kind of monotone." And I want Airboy to be just sort of this glowing color. You know, he's going to stand out on every page. Yeah, it really stands out. And and how I, I, it strikes me is how much did he borrow of your personality for yourself? How true to life? It's his semi-autobiographical. But are you the character that he portrays as um, Greg? Yes and, and no. Um, I do some things in the book that, that I probably wouldn't do in real life, but I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the audience figure out which, those, which the things those are. Um, that's pretty true. That's pretty true. I gave him a character sheet just with all the little extra bits in case he wanted some, some minutia. Okay. But, uh, but we've, we've been pals for a while, so... All right, so we're looking forward to Airboy in June. Then will you be at Comic-Con as well? Um, I'll be at Comic-Con wandering around. I won't have a table or anything. Um, oh, I guess the book will be out by Comic-Con. Yeah, so you can be signing it in. I might have a signing. I don't know. You might have a signing. Well, I'll look forward to that, Now I will get my first issue to be signed by you. Thank you Absolutely. so much, Greg, for your time. My pleasure. Thanks. Really cool guy. Great conversation. And now, 
the next interview we got was for a project that I didn't... I think I had read something about uh, a few months ago. And when I got an email about this asking if I would talk to this gentleman, Houston Huddleston, and realized what this project was, I got kind of excited. And I think maybe we talked about it before because he has one of the captain's chairs from the original Star Trek. TOS. And uh, he, Houston Huddleston, has a board of directors, including, I believe, David Gerald, uh, and some produce production people from Battlestar Galactica and Firefly. And they are trying to put together, uh, not trying, they are putting together the Hollywood Sci-Fi Museum. So basically, all the great set pieces, props, costumes from science fiction, television, and film. Uh, they're looking for a permanent home, shooting for 2016 to open in North Hollywood. And to be kind of a mecca, replacing what, as I bring up in the interview, kind of the Acker Mansion, maybe possibly pulling things back, not in the yeah. terms of like, we want you to give back what you've, but to allow for uh, exhibits that can be focused on certain things, you know, props that have been lost and dispersed after Forey passed, uh, or that people have collected since, because obviously there are many things still. So a place where people can go and see these iconic things from... Do you know about the one that's in Seattle? That's the Science Fiction Hall of Fame. It's it's at the the Sound Experience, the one that Paul Allen put together. It's um, at the Houston, base. Houston mentions it. It's and at I the base we, of we this, you know, at the. We, uh, you haven't listened to it Space yet. Space Needle. But yeah, he 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 references that, and so the idea is, if you go to Seattle, maybe they can exchange exhibits. Yeah. But something like this should be in Hollywood, and one Definitely of them in points Hollywood. out it started because he found two sets were for Star Trek were just out in outside of the storage and. Paramount didn't know what to do with them, so they're just going to let them rot. And as he points out, Hollywood set building and prop building is very wasteful. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about that before, about how it's like people didn't realize the history. We have the people who put together the, the TOS, uh, not pardon me, the, the TNG set because they found it in somebody's backyard. Right. And it, it was all rotting, so the big restoration thing, I think that was a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo. Actually, I think that may be the same people. Oh, really? So... Here it is. Uh, great conversation with Houston Huddleston. So we are here with Houston Huddleston, who is, what exactly would you call your title? Founder, uh, founder head schmuck, whatever you want. Yes, it's all good. Of the Hollywood Sci-Fi Museum, which right now is a little more virtual than actual. Is that correct? Right. It's only actual when you go to conventions that we appear at, like we're at WonderCon right now, but there's also Comic-Con in San Diego and... Stan Lee's Kamikaze, and in 2013, we just traveled all over the place. We were at 17 different conventions, which almost killed us. <laughs> okay, and so the purpose of the museum, which is looking to open an actual regular place, right, yes. in 2016 in North Hollywood, mm -hmm. is to uh, kind of create a base where people can come and see some of the great props, vehicles, uh, set pieces from... Hollywood sci-fi history, is that... Exactly. This, our aim is for this to be the fun of a theme park inside of a museum. We want this to be the coolest museum in the world. And we want everything in there... I, and I can't say everything. The, the props that are given to us that are screen-used, people can't touch, obviously, because they'd be damaged because they weren't meant to be touched. But the ones that... Uh, the Hall of Cars, for instance, will be cars, for the most part, that you can sit inside and take photos of and push buttons. Uh, the spaceships will all be interactive uh, by touchpad computers, and there'll be uh, touchpad computers for the 
Hall of Robots as well. That you can actually control the robots, make talk to them, make them talk to you, control them, learn about them. And the the bottom line of this, it's an educational museum. It's teaching real science through science fiction and space exploration. And so that's why we have NASA people involved. And yeah, it's it's a very unique. I I, I think that's poor, poor grammar. It's extremely unique. <laughs> Okay, so on your board of directors, you say you've got NASA people, you've got actual, which makes it sound like we're diminishing the Hollywood people. You've got scientists, you've got... I'll tell you, though, the Hollywood people respect the NASA people immensely because they do what they don't do. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's vice versa, the NASA people respect our Hollywood people because it, there, there's no egos in our, on our board. There's no egos in our organization. What we're doing is egoless, none of us are getting paid. And we're doing this because we know it's the right thing to do and nobody else is doing it. What do you do in your day job? What inspired you to become to do this? What I do in my day job right now is just cry a lot and sit in a corner. No, I, I'm a writer. Okay. Uh, t- uh, typically, I'm, I'm a comedy writer and I've written TV and film. Uh, I've done some sci-fi and horror stuff as well. Um, what inspired me to do this is I found the two bridges of the Enterprise that started this whole thing from Star Trek. Uh, the original series and the Next Generation bridge set that were used for touring. And all of a sudden, I realized that there was uh, one... I had to save these things. Right. Let me back up sure. to make it so that people understand the, right. the near-miss tragedy that was. How did you find the bridges? Someone who worked at Paramount told me that these two bridge sets were sitting outside and had been sitting outside for five years, outside of a warehouse. And nobody knew what to do with them. They were going to be thrown out, etc. And in case you don't know, Hollywood is extremely wasteful, unbelievably wasteful. Uh, there was uh, there's a famous picture of the Millennium Falcon, or no, the Death Star sitting in a dumpster in 1979, and just despicable mentality for Hollywood history. So I found these two things, and I through this friend of mine and I knew I had to save them I didn't know where I was going to put them what I was going to do with it I just knew that if I didn't save them they'd be gone forever and I'd regret it the rest of my life so I got these people who had originally worked on the show to help me and to be on our board of directors and they all agreed Ronald D. Moore who wrote and produced Star Trek and gosh uh Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, and I got Timothy Earls, who designed Serenity, uh, Firefly, and I got David Gerald, who wrote Trouble with Tribbles, I got all these brilliant, Rick Sternbach, Andrew Probert, who designed the the ship, the actual ship, and I said, look, if I do this, will you guys help me? And they said yes, and they kept their promise. So then we realized there was no place to put these sets, so we had to come up with something new and we said okay we're going to create this museum it won't just be Star Trek it'll be Firefly Star Wars Doctor Who Battlestar Galactica Babylon 5 as well as the classic uh, Metropolis and This Island Earth and Forbidden Planet so it's it's this massive thing now and it seems to be working and many of the original props and memorabilia uh, you know it, what it reminded me of when I was read it was like almost a formalized version of the famed Acker Mansion when, when Forey was alive, and a lot of that has just kind of disseminated, disappeared into the across the country. Are you 
pulling some of that stuff back? I knew Forey for a very short time. It was, uh, it was. I met him at his 80th birthday party, and I went to his Acker Mansion, and I always wanted to. Uh, I always wanted to uh, find some way to to uh, help him with his stuff when he was alive. That didn't work out. And when he died, it just went all over the place. Many of his most expensive props went back to Ray Harryhausen and what have you. And uh, Bob Burns owns uh, some of it. I would love to, but I, I think it has just gone all over the place. But it's up to the, the listeners and the people mm-hmm. who know or may know who has what we, we don't want to take your stuff forever we just want to display it so people can see right. it and be enriched by it and learn from it well that's the cue on a museum is having rotating exhibits and focuses and absolutely yeah. it yes. so you're, you're looking for ground in, in North Hollywood at, at the moment right is that correct there's a big spot that the city owns in North Hollywood that we're going after um, it's up to a lot of different sanctions and factions and fictions and pooctions. <laughs> no, it's, uh, we're dealing with uh, Mayor Garcetti's office and with Metro and different parts of the, uh, city financing and uh, it's so complex, I don't even understand it all, but I have people who do and it's coming up with numbers and scenarios and you name it. But as far as I know, we're one of the forerunners of what's going on. So that makes me very happy because we're able to give people culture and education and be the coolest thing in North Hollywood. Absolutely. We could become the downtown Disney of North Hollywood. That makes me extremely happy. I like the sound of it. Is there a website where people can go to help support, perhaps? No, no, there isn't. No, I'm kidding. It's HollywoodSciFi.com. Okay. HollywoodSciFi.com. But even if you spell it S-Y-F-Y, like the Sci-Fi Channel, you'll still find it because we bought all the domains. Oh, okay. So (laughs) you're good. Yeah. (laughs) You know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Houston, we wish you all the luck. And thank thank you. you. We're looking forward to actually being at the museum in a couple of years. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. We thank Houston for his time, and he gave the website so you can check in, see what's going on online, and if you want to donate money, um, I believe it, it, currently they're planning to just go from convention to convention and show little show pieces. They had a lot of props there, uh, a lot of costume pieces. It's, I, it's another one of those things where when people become aware of it, and especially in Hollywood, they're going to become aware of it, and then they'll say, you know, I know where this is. Right, and exactly. Chris, Chris Garcia, who are often on our podcast, who works at the Computer History Museum, gets donations like that all the time here in the Silicon Valley. Yeah. And so it's just a matter of awareness. Right, and people absolutely. Thinking, you know, that's what I, I say. It would be fascinating I if, have it, that. if it takes root. You know, it would be fun if, you know, I know that Harry Knowles has a lot of the stuff from mm-hmm. Acker Mansion. Mm-hmm. If there could be, like, the Harry Knowles exhibit for six months. There's still stuff floating around from the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas. Yeah. 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 So uh, that was great. And then our last set of interviews were behind the scenes after the panel for Teen Titans Go, which was a show that I had been somewhat resistant to a few years ago because it's, it's an all-comedic version of the Teen Titans with the same cast as the original animated series that ran, I believe, five seasons on Cartoon Network. That many? Yeah. Wow. And and ended with a direct-to-video movie uh, called Trouble in Tokyo, which kind of ended on a cliffhanger. And... Uh, 
found even though it had what do you call it, the chibi elements to it, it was still fairly a, a fairly serious take on Teen Titans continuity. Weren't the chibi elements just in the interstitial stuff? No, no, no. They like if they'd have a they'd were get they upset, they'd show it on the bottom. Really? Yeah, oh, okay. they would. Ah, uh, oh, they had like subtext of it. Yeah, right, okay. right. So they didn't do the full on transformation like they do in the uh, anime. I don't know that. I can't vouch for sure because it's been a long time. Yeah. Okay. Um, but at any rate, I resisted. It was, you know, they took that theme song. They kept that that theme song. Really went went great with it. Uh, played up the comedic elements. And uh, this year, my son has really gotten into it. Every now and then, he'd watch it, but now he's really so. I've watched many, including this episode this year, where Young Justice from the late lamented Young Justice show, good show, shows up. And complains that the Titans aren't serious enough. Nice. So then they go super serious, and then they parody basically the whole grim and gritty. Nice. What, what do you do with those characters who all develop very strong jawlines and cleft chins and, and spend time just posing? And, you know, it, it's very funny. And and it just every time I watch that show, there's something that's absolutely hilarious in it. Trying to picture Starfire with a cleft chin oh it, it wasn't pretty it really wasn't <laughs> but it was funny at least they at least they forwent the stubble uh because uh robin beast boy and cyborg all have stubble nice uh and, and she should have gotten stubble too oh, that would no, be funny no, I, I i would have never gotten over that so anyway uh this year we got a chance to sit down uh with a, a, a round table with a couple of other reporters so you will hear a couple of other voices uh from comics alliance um but we, it was very kind, and I thought, again, you kind of have to let this conversation be heard, not written out, because, again, the delivery is just fascinating. So the first one we have is Scott Menville, who voices Robin uh, on Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go, and really great, really great conversation with Scott Menville. Right. So here it is. Here with Scott Menville. So, first of all, Teen Titans Go... How do you think you, your approach has changed to Robin over over these years? Uh, well, I have to be willing to completely break through any boundaries and throw off any kind of limitations as far as uh, containing anything and keeping it subtle. You've got to be ready to go crazy and be ridiculous. Robin was obsessed on the original series with Slade and some of the other villains now we're seeing uh, that his obsession does not end there. It ends, uh, you know, magnifies at home over small, trivial things. So um, the approach has changed a little bit also in that uh, I speak faster in this version of Robin because it's a comedy show, so <laughs> comedy's got to be quick, and uh, a lot more yelling. <laughs> do you enjoy the comedy aspects versus the, the more serious nature of the previous series? I do. I mean, we, we did have some episodes in the original series that had a comedic bent to it but never hey how you doing never like this so yeah i never thought i'd be able to do this character going crazy in these situations like this so it's fun and i'll also preface that by saying in the original series some of my favorite ones were the dark very serious episodes but uh, yeah i love doing this it's great do you have any influence over where some episodes go? We spoke with Kerry Payton last year, and he had talked about the Grandma Cyborg, that he had done the voice, and so suddenly an episode shows up where that's he's being Grandma. So do you have things that you suggest and that he, you might see Robin yeah, do? The, yeah, that actually came <laughs> that Grandma voice came out of somebody that who we all know, uh, and he was doing an impersonation of her, and that's how that voice happened. They wind up writing an episode around it. Um, I don't know. I mean, our... 
Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelinek are producers and showrunners. They're definitely open to ideas. We're always throwing out like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had one where the Titans are doing this? Or, oh, you should bring back this villain or, you know, that villain. So they're definitely open to suggestions. Who are your favorite villains to go up against? I mean, I know it's kind of like you're probably in a booth by yourself, not really interacting, but when you watch it, what are the, what are the interactions you love the most? On this show? Yeah. Well, actually, the cool thing is we're not in a booth by ourselves. We're, we actually do full cast records. So unless somebody has a conflict, like Kari just shot a pilot for a new series, so he actually hasn't been there for the last couple of records because he was away in another state filming that. But unless something like that's going on, we're all there in the same room recording, which is cool. Um... I don't know. I'd like to see. I'd like to see uh, Malcolm McDowell come back as Mad Mod. Uh, I, I'd like to see Slade Slade come back at some point. Um, I'd like to see Johnny Rancid come back, just because I had fun working with Henry Rollins on the original series. So. Has anyone come back and then like had a difficult time adjusting to the new style? <laughs> I remember when uh, Ashley Johnson, who does voices the character Tara for the first time came back on this one she's like wow this is like a whole different beast she didn't have a rough time she jumped right in because she's got the character down in her back pocket and she's like oh okay alright this is what we're dealing with now okay What's your favorite episode of the current run? Oh, man. There's one where, uh, I, I forget the title, but it's where the Titans are lazy, and so Robin recruits all these other Robins to come. That was a blast, because I got to do the voices of all these other Robins. I just watched that one. That Did was you? hilarious. Yeah, it was, it was really fun to do that. Uh, Puppets What was another one that I loved, because I got to voice, do impressions of my castmates. The one where Robin, uh, from the first season, uh, house sat for Batman at the Batcave. That was cool. Um, I don't know. They all, they all crack me up. I, I watch them, and our animators put in so many little gags that aren't necessarily there on the script. And then you you watch it when it's animated, and they'll do cool things like you know Robin dancing in the car to take his driver's test. That's one of my favorite moments. Yeah. Voices on everything, but you're like in a lot of different other things. So would you maybe pitch and see if they can work out, like getting any of your other characters from other shows? That's interesting. That would be cool. I don't know how that works. I'm on a Disney show, and I don't know how Disney and WB could. That won't work. Yeah. (laughs) It's a a great, great show. It's called The Seven D. But I don't know if we could have a crossover. Uh, But you know, I recur on the Ninja Turtles with with Greg, and we just had a. Show the, an episode that wasn't about Ninja Turtles, but it might have been about some turtles from the sewer who do karate. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> so it, it would be fun to do a crossover, though. Uh, all right. So you know, in the future, one of my favorite episodes this year was the Young Justice. Um, do you like seeing those where they kind of cross over with the more serious universe? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's it's a blast to do. Um, I always love when they bring Aqualad back also to, uh, there was one where Aqualad and uh, Terra come back and Beast Boy and Raven are jealous and that wasn't really a serious episode but it's it's fun to see those other characters from the DC Universe come back. Do you yeah. read comics? Not so much. Uh, yeah, I, 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 no, I was more of a skateboard kid, although I know that's not necessarily one or the other, but, but no. I, I read growing up. I read like Wolverine and the Punisher and stuff like that. Very harder edged compared yeah, to what yeah. <laughs> to with the Titans. Yeah. And, you know, and they left with Trouble in Tokyo when it was more serious to have kind of a, a different change forward. And I, it feels a different what a, a different feel to the show. Like that last, I guess, say direct to video movie was going to 
be a harbinger of a new direction, and then we get Teen Titans Go. So do you feel, does anybody ever say, like, you know, wouldn't we need to kind of really wrap that up, what was going on with the subplots in that show? In the original series? Yeah, yeah and uh, I would have loved and would still love to see how it would wrap up. That show got canceled when it was at the height of its popularity, and there were still a lot of open storylines that hadn't been completed. So, yeah, people, you know, if you get on the Internet, you'll see people talking about wanting uh, to have a season six. And uh, it would be interesting to see what would happen. Okay. And the show's been on for a while now, and there's, you know, fans of the original kind of are um, vocal about the current one. Yeah. And it's sort of negative way, but have you seen people kind of coming around a lot more since maybe the first season when the, the show first popped up? I have. I've gotten, yeah, I think some of the cool, one of the coolest things I've heard, of, and I've heard this on many occasions where people have said, I wanted to hate your show, and now I actually like it. It's really funny. <laughs> and so... Yeah, it's not it's not the original show. It's it's its own beast, and I, uh, the misconception may be that if this show wasn't here, we would have more of the original series. So that's not true. If this show wasn't here, we'd have no Titans right now. So it's they're just two separate things. Is that weird, given that you worked on the previous iteration, rather than it's like, oh, we like these other people. It's like they still like you, right? But. But they just yeah it is and the, some people love both and some love one and don't love the other and that's totally cool and you know there are shows that I don't love and my cable provider provides me with many channels so I have a lot of options <laughs> to choose from but uh, I think you know the, the it's mostly love for the show that, that I that I get you know so that's the cool thing to see little kids excited and to see grown adults saying like oh, I had the worst day at work and I came home and this show just totally made me laugh. Do you ever walk into a Toys R Us and Marvel that like, there's this Robin toy that's, and say, it's me? Do you, like, hold it up? <laughs> no, but I uh, was out on Halloween and there were little kids coming by in Robin costumes and uh, there was, like, Robin and a Beast Boy. And I thought, oh, I, I couldn't tell this kid. But uh, my friend my friend Jess Harnell, who's a voice actor. Jess, yeah. Yeah, he's got a great story about years ago. Uh, he was at Disneyland in line and a kid was wearing an Animaniac shirt. And he's like, oh, I voice uh, Wacko. And he winds up getting in like a disagreement. Because like, no, you don't. Yes, I do. And he did the voice for the kid. And the kid's like, no, it's not you. I do, I do it better. And so, you know, I have a fear of that happening. So <laughs> I, I just let the little trick or treaters go on their way without so you, saying. Anything. You don't keep the mask in no. your pocket and just go. No, really, it is. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And once again, thank you to Scott Manville for sitting down at the table and having that conversation. Next up is one, again, that absolutely has to be heard because I'd, I've heard this for years, that Greg Sipes, who voices Beast Boy, has a personality very close to actually Beast Boy, and it's true. So you have to hear it. Um, it's wonderful. What a, what a great guy. Very funny. Um, I think that guy should do stand-up. Anyway, uh, Greg Sipes, uh, who voices Beast Boy on Teen Titans and Teen Titans. So what you got? Yeah, the Alright, what's your favorite episode? Let's start there. My favorite episode is when Beast Boy sings his love song to Tara. It's called Fade Away. And it's awesome. I love when Beast Boy sings. Do you request that? I do. Yeah, I'm working on a Beast Boy album right now. No, we can take this here. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Yeah, can you I'm sing a little of that for us? Uh... It's all about my baby, yeah, it's all about Bay. And if I don't cast my baby, all I do is go cray, cray, cray. 
That's the song for Raven. Um, yeah, like I think this the format of the show actually is kind of very freeing to get to do that. That's right. So you know, singing. Is there anything else that you request on a regular basis to have a fight? Um, I, I always like when real messages get put under the veil of the comedic tone of the show. So. I always like when there's vegetarian messages and stuff like that, but they take it and twist it so far away from an actual message. <laughs> so, yeah. I always come up with ideas. I came up with an idea this morning called Hot Yoga, where Beast Boy has a harem of hot ladies doing yoga at the tower, and there's no room for the rest of the Titans to live there. So they said they'll make it. <laughs> what are your favorite interactions on the show? Which, which characters do you like working Beast Boy working with the most, not as an actor because I don't want to have you judge and pick favorites that way. But well, you know, Cyborg is my best friend. It's, I like working with Cyborg because we just bounce off each other and it's a really organic, fun way. But I, I don't know, Beast Boy kind of gets along with anybody. It just works. Were you a, a reader of the comics and a fan of the character before you got cast as Gar? You know, I was really... I had all the comics, and that whole time of my life is I can't really remember. <laughs> uh, I just remember, like, the, you know, Superman and Spider-Man. And, um, I was more into, like, surfing and soccer and stuff like that, so I don't remember too much of if I was into it or not, but... Once I got the role as uh, as Beast Boy, I got started to get into it. Yeah. Is it weird, given that the show used to be more serious, but Beast Boy was always the you know did comedy on that? Is it different now that the show is more comedic? Do you feel like you have to push it even further? Well, yeah, I definitely I get to push it further, which I really enjoy. It's like there's no limits. It's totally cut loose. Unhindered, you know, I could just do whatever I want, and they let me, so it's fun. And it, it allowed Beast Boy's, you know, character to just develop much further. Like when I watch the original show, he was in a certain box, but now there's no box. There's the original Beast Boy within who I am now on the show, but also just he's just got a lot more layers. Beast Boy's he's multidimensional. You know, the you're saying that you know, everyone's a lot more extreme in their personalities yeah. and more comedy based. So, did you feel kind of like you were the, the straight man for a little bit because everyone else actually at first, yeah, I felt like, oh my gosh, I was not the funniest anymore. Like, I'm not the comedy relief. And for a couple episodes, I was almost bummed. I was like, oh man, what's this show? I don't understand. Robin's. He's stealing the show, but then all, all of a sudden I found my groove and Beast Boy got to become who he is now. Is there ever a moment that they say, can you pull it back just a little bit? You're, you're Never. Never pull it back. Never. Always push it so we, we, we have over 60 episodes now. Um, do you feel like now is the time where you can really kind of like be on, you know, new album or whatever, but any kind of weird inkling of a thing that you had, you know, early on now, do you feel like you kind of push out a little bit more because you're, you're like, oh, you know, they're going to need ideas. So how about this weird thing? Sure. Yeah, I'm always pitching ideas. Um, and I feel like these guys will kind of do anything. 
at this point because we've done over 100 episodes already. And they're talking about another 100 or so. So it's fun to be able to just come up with ideas. Let's try that. And sometimes they say, yeah, we'll make them. Sometimes they're just lying to me. But it's cool. <laughs> Is there some stuff you've already shot that you're really excited for that you can talk about? Uh, I don't know. It's all really exciting. They're all specials. <laughs> At what point do you think uh, Beast Boy will become Beast Man? Can you see yourself playing this in your 70s? Beast Man. Well, Warner Brothers likes to keep my version of Beast Boy, you know, like, protected. They don't necessarily allow me to do other things, other, like, versions of Beast Boy that aren't in the realm of what I've coined. And so, I mean... Beast, Beast Boy does turn, in, turn into old man on the show often now, and they're talking about more episodes where just Beast Boy's old man the whole time. So I guess that's Beast Man, Beast Old Man. But yourself, you want to work on the, could you see yourself working on the show, you know, coming back as a character 20 years Sure, from now? sure, of course. Yeah, just like uh, Rob Paulson played two Ninja Turtles, maybe I'll be uh, Robin. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of, they mentioned that there's a, maybe some karate reptiles coming up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Crossover, and you know, that's another show that you voice on. So yeah. any other shows that you voice on that you would want to kind of pull in and do a crossover? Um, no, the fact that they did a little teeny, uh, turtle, reptile, ninja things, that was cool. Um, and that just aired. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great episode. Yeah, it'd be cool if Ultimate Spider-Man showed up and Beast Boy got to kick Spider-Man's butt. And then, you know, him and uh, Iron Fist go and meditate in the back room and <laughs> pick up chicks. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we're awesome. good. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. And lastly, this is sort of a free-for-all. I think everybody was getting a little punchy on Saturday afternoon. And uh, and actually, it was actually it was fairly early because I think I did this before I sat down with James Robinson. But um, so a continuation of the night before <laughs> must have been. Uh, we're sitting down with the producers who I have talked to before. They are very funny men, and then they decided to just go for broke. We were the last interview uh, of the of that of that uh, section, and I think they were just they figured they've answered enough questions. They're just going to mess around. So here it is, uh, producers. And, and writers Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelinek of Teen Titans Go. We are all like everybody equally. It is fun. You are one of the earliest supporters of our show. Yes, that is true. And for that, we'll always love you. Appreciate you guys. Never said anything good about us. <laughs> that, 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 that's not true. Just, just, the, just the facts. Unbiased. I remember, I remember you too. <laughs> I post that gif of Robin dancing all the time on my top uh, well, this, They have to win a show over you I know, I know, this is going to be an uphill battle of an interview That's, that's okay Alright, we'll take some questions over here <laughs> Alright, you get to start yep, okay. I'll Start, start. middle, oh, finish okay, sure. Whatever she wants Just Don't bang the table <laughs> Who here was, had a listen to us talk about her, this shirt class at Comic Con? Were you listening to him talk about his shirt? No, I didn't hear that one. I'm sorry. He's wearing a boring shirt now. We're doing great so far, Winston. Let's talk about it. Balancing it all out. How fancy was it? It, it was had nice. Button, had buttons and a collar. Buttons and a collar. And we had a beautiful view of the ocean and some boats. 
wow. the material is super fine. It's kind of room that you would have Real. brunch in. Well, thanks for dressing down for us in Anaheim. That's good. It was well. It's not you guys. It was such a distraction to the journalists at Comic Con that I decided like this year I shouldn't do it. So it really is because the guy there was the one guy who kept asking me, "Where did you get that shirt?" And I'm like, "You I'm look not amazing. You. you look amazing." And I'm not going to tell him. I'm like, like, "That's not. We're not here to, to promote this shirt. We're here to promote from my t- show. Let's talk about Teen Titans Go shirts. Well, let's let's talk about the show. Let's do it. Grace is like you're playing like another hundred episodes. Is that really you know? Is this the rest of your life? Is you're going to be Teen Titans Go? Yeah, if, if no better Forever. opportunities come around. Teen Titans, for us. <laughs> Teen Titans Eternal. Well, I don't know if you look at a Cartoon Network schedule, but right now we're on like 84 times a week. Um, it is the number one show for for cartoons for for kids. Uh, number one like for boys, you know, live action included. So it's a very successful show at the moment. At any second that could turn. Yeah. But until then, I think we, we have, we'll end high. up doing. At least 200 episodes. We just finished making our 100th episode, which is a lot. Yeah. I mean, count to 100 and you'll see how long yeah, 100 is. <laughs> so it's hard to count to 100. Now imagine making 100 episodes. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's count to 100. One, two, it's, oh, it three, takes over a minute four, to do that. Five, six. I'll count. Right you now. count while we. Go, 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 okay, go, go, go. How long does it take you per episode? To make, count to 100? To, to make, count to 100? <laughs> to make one episode. No. It's nine months from mm. script. Is it finish. true? I say nine months, but then I think I'm talking about no. a pregnant person. Because yeah. that's uh, how long it takes to have a baby. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys are aware of this. <laughs> more or less. Give or take. Thank you for, for teaching us so much this afternoon. <laughs> it's what we're here for. It's an educational show. But, yeah, it takes us about, like, two weeks to write an episode, right? You know, Two weeks to write it, <clears throat> five weeks to storyboard it, three months to animate it, and then the various post-production. post-production. You know when they say we'll fix it in post? That's what you do. You fix it in post. Fix it in post. But you actually don't fix it in animation because it's all you have to deal with whatever you have. So yeah, you yeah. just look at it in post and go, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, why do we do We'll that? just look at it and be disappointed in post. Yeah. That's really what they should say in animation. Be disappointed in post. Yes, we'll tolerate that in post. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you have a lot more crossover episodes recently. You know, we had the Justice episode and the uh, Karate Reptiles. And um, talk to our lawyer. Yeah. The uh, trademark non-infringement <laughs> karate. <laughs> Youngish karate turtle dudes. Lucky dudes. Oh, whoa, I just walked into an awkward moment. <laughs> it's still happening. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Um, so are there any other, like, you know, you have a lot of actors that do voices and other stuff. You can maybe try and pull some of their other characters and other things, or, except for Disney stuff, because I'm sure that won't work. But Anything could work. I mean, we've done a sort of fake ponies episode. We've done a fake Young Justice episode, a fake Turtles. It's, I think that yeah. almost... Oh. Scott, who plays Robin, also plays that sneezy uh, oh, elf. Is it an elf, a dwarf? Yeah. In uh, seven it's a D. It's a D. Yeah. The D. The yeah. D. We we do seven D. We'll do one D episode of one D. Him sneezing the whole time. Yeah, maybe Robin gets showcases a showcase uh, his sneezing. Because I've seen that. Sh- well, I don't want to talk about that show too much because let's hear we hear from Teen Titans go, but he doesn't sneeze enough. Not enough. So He's maybe we can. Sneezers. He is really good. He's a method sneezer. Like he'll get the pepper in his nose and everything. 
But this is how we come up with ideas to answer your question. We, we, we start talking stupid about an idea, and if it, we could extend it for 11 minutes, it's an episode. So I'm not sure yet about the sneezing. We've got about 45 seconds in. And then you got 100 sneezes. Yes. By the way, I got to 100 in my brain. That's great. So That's great. we're there. We're covered. It took you about a minute. That took a long time, right? Yeah, guys, it did. That's it how did. long it takes. So, and we distracted you, too, with a, uh, without a shirt. Uh, I'm wearing a shirt. Yeah, let's be clear. I'm sorry. No, I, I meant, yeah. These are audio interviews. You're right, so let's right, tell right, sorry. we are wearing our shirts. Uh, with the change, with the change so in tone, and, and, and to get to stay with him, what as I hear people say, there's a lot of DC properties still available. Would there be characters that you would want to bring into Teen Titans from the DC universe, or do, does Warner Brothers stop you from saying like you can't use the Inferior Five or you know something that we do? We have to get we have to get permission to use characters from yeah, DC outside yeah. the Teen Titans. Like anybody in the world. Teen Titans world is is fair game for us, but outside of that, we have so to. we mostly avoid. Just because it's going to be an issue, we don't want to do something interesting and then them say, oh, you can't do it. We do have a Justice League sort of episode coming up. We don't really see the Justice League, but we have the Titans all dressing up as a Justice League, which is kind of fun. Them all, you know, the idea is how kids sort of dress up and play superhero. So that's the, the Justice League. Everyone wants to be Batman until they spell Batman's costume and it's really, it really smells like vinegar, <laughs> you know, because he sweats a lot. He yeah, it's really it. sweaty. He works hard. He works hard. And he, he would stink. Well, how do you think wash? About, think you can't about, wash body armor. He's running. He's flipping. He's doing all this stuff. It's going to be the, one of the worst smelling And you know he's, there's no undies under there. There's no, no layer between no. him and the suit. So you're, you're like bringing a whole flexible. new level to this. Like, yeah. This is an educational interview. This it is. is. I mean, think, think, well, about, we think about, think about Comic-Con. Think about those people in those costumes. <laughs> think about how they smell. Now think about someone who's actually crime fighting. Yeah. That's a way worse. Way worse. So we, we get into that. We get into that. Uh, so that's the first part of the Justice League story. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's some other hijinks afterwards. Uh, hijinks mm-hmm. happen all the time. How much mm-hmm. attention do you pay to what's going on currently in like the DCU to pull ideas from, or do you just avoid it because you're worried about? Well, it's important to us that we read every single comic that DC publishes, mm-hmm. right? Because I was just we, today reading New Teen Titans oh number. Uh, what number was that? You're reading it on the way. In. <laughs> yeah, number something. I think it was number one because I wanted to go back to the beginning. And but but even though yeah, we love not even new anymore, sorry, they're just, they're just oh, they're just the Teen Titans. Titans. We knew that. I know. I'm talking he about this new. is from my collection. He right. meant it was new. Right. No, no. Oh, okay. But <laughs> because it was missing from my extensive collection. Uh, we read every single comic. We get a big box from DC, and we're like, yeah, oh, this is amazing, amazing. It takes us one night to read through. You read it all. The box. Filter it through our brains. But then we're like, we have to stay away from all that. We're trying to do something different. Yeah. But That's it, actually why we read the comics is so we don't overlap. Yes. Any of those stories, like, so because you're right, it has to be different. It has to be fresh. It inspires us, though. It does inspire us. I get inspired really all the time. Good. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I don't even remember what the question was anymore. <laughs> Things are going great, Winston. <laughs> the show's on Thursday nights at 6. Thursday nights at 6. And 83 repeats a week. And 82 other A lot of hard work. A lot of hard work goes into it. A lot of hard work. We're, like, we're geniuses. It's true. We are geniuses. That's what Winston told us to say. We're geniuses. Well, he sees it. We don't, you know, because we are, we tend to be, you know, humble people. But he's like, no, tell everybody you're brilliant. So hey, everybody, we're brilliant. People. Brilliant we're geniuses. People. Geniuses. But you knew that from the beginning. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> cool. Good. We're all gonna go with that. Uh, yes. 
about how, how it's like being smarter than everybody? You know, it's okay, let's go with that. What yeah. is it like to be smarter than everybody else in the room? It's certainly not easy. It's not easy. You know. So we have to actually act a little dumber when we interact with people like now. Exactly. <laughs> Probably like we're really it. smart. Yeah. But we're just pretending to be dumb right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a couple of dopes who wear boring clothes. Yeah. You Normally know. he would have a really great t-shirt. Normally I would wear an extremely fancy t-shirt, but it was making people uncomfortable, like I said. So, so you can't and dress you, good you and give, be smart. And you give. Yeah, no, no, it's true. It's true. Um, which of the Titans would you yourselves want to be a force to be? Absolutely. Want to be what? Want to be if you were forced to. If I was forced or, to be, we were talking about crime fighting. You know, I understand the, the, the hygiene involved. Which hero would you be? Uh, he's probably most like Beast Boy. Is that correct? Yeah. Right? Is that sort of correct? Sure. Yeah. Maybe Raven. Maybe Raven. Raven. Actually, Raven. No, you're Raven. You're Raven. Okay. And I'm probably Robin. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair to say. So that we would be the people that were. I'm kind of a rule follower. Got a lot of anxiety, right? Yeah, you but, but which Robin? To listen to you. you get really upset when people Robin. listen to you. What? Two times go, Robin. Well, I mean, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake. Oh, Craig. well, it's t- the Dick. It's Dick, yeah. Our, our Robin is Dick Grayson. We don't make any. We don't Look, even pretend to be no secret about it. There's no little fun little mystery about it. No, 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 no. The okay. trading card. I saw that episode where he flashed the trading card to oh, yeah. Dick Grayson, no, and my son and I argued about he's that. He's got the flying Grayson's You're like this room. Jason Todd or Tim Drake. Who? Like, did you know that you could tell the difference between the Robins by their outfits? What? Yeah, no. It's crazy. Different outfits. Catching up. Yeah. You are reading books. You are reading books. I know. I forget them really fast. I know more than this guy does. He does for sure. What's your favorite Easter egg that you've put in the show? Oh, I had a funny joke about this. Yeah, this is good. You want to pull it out again? Do you guys were at the Com Com panel? Go ahead. We weren't there. We were here waiting. We we I we put in actual Easter eggs. And then they're like in the background. It's like, oh, that's an Easter egg. It's a literal Easter egg. <laughs> Boom, that's funny. Well played. Uh, that was my joke from the panel. Yeah. I'm glad I could tell you guys again. <laughs> Super good. So, you were good. Greg said that he is pushing for more songs because he's yeah, he is. a Beast yeah. Boy album. Yeah, he does. Oh, he was talking about that, was he? Yeah, he mentioned yeah. that. That's surprising. Yeah, he's pushing for sarcasm. <laughs> no, yeah, be like Raven. I'm going to try to work those songs in. I like him. He writes really charming songs, and we'll try to use them. Oh yeah, yeah. And it runs the gamut. You got a country western. You got, you got some a, some dance stuff. You got some. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Glad you're you're pushing that album for him. That's very kind of you. We're here to help. Yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah, you are. Since the beginning. Spread the gospel. We all are. We're on your side. <laughs> really. Yeah. I believe you. I believe you. At least half the broadcast each week we watch. He <laughs> can talk to you in 40, New York, right? Forty-ish. Always talk to you. What's what state? I know I talked to you. Comic Con, California. I want to say it was New York, though. San Diego. Too. Nope, never been. To never. New York. Okay, nope. then I'm a liar. No, just mistake. Uh, all right. Well, all right. see Winston. So we say thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank you. Good hey, luck thanks. on the I'm next hundred episodes. You know. Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks, man. It's not easy. I think we did really well. We got a lot of important information out there, and um, yeah. I think we represented the company uh, admirably. Admirably? Admirably. Is that a word? No, it's a word. Okay. Just want to make sure. It is. Oh, is this mine? Can I take this home? Um. <laughs> not for me to say. <laughs> no? Okay, you can add it back. And so we thank them. That was easily one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. So, great time. 
thank you. I want to say because he's referenced in the interview a couple times. Winston Sato from Warner Home Television, uh, who uh, arranged for this for us to be there to have this interview. Uh, Winston, thank you very much for always extending this invitation, and this was a heck of a lot of fun. So, so, so in a couple of weeks, we should have a report from Big Wow. Yeah, probably. So we'll actually see. This is the weird thing. This is like. Rick, you should never be in a time travel story because now, faithful listeners, we're about to, for you now, we're going to record last week's podcast next, which is still two weeks ahead of Big Wow. I believe this was a sketch on Mr. Show. (laughs) So um, we'll be talking about how in two weeks, next week, last week, uh, that... (laughs) We'll have a big wow podcast. And so actually for you probably next, maybe in two weeks. We'll see who we get, uh, who the conversations will be with. We usually get really good interviews at Big Wow. Big Wow is a great source. And so we look forward to that. And I'm, of course, you probably found this on iTunes. You can uh, please subscribe, tell your friends. Our podcasts don't always go like this. We're often just news-based about what's coming up in conversation like you hear in your comic shop, but we're always worth listening to. Nothing happened this week anyway. And not at all. I'm predicting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, see, fool, we're about to record. La- oh, this week. No, you're right. Um, so anyway, uh, you can find us on the Stitcher app. You can find us at www.fanboyplanet.com, where you will also find an Amazon link to any of the – where you can find any of the items that perhaps you were listening here and something somebody talked about. Beast Boy's album, perhaps, which actually still is kind of more um, – in Greg Sipe's head, but uh, I'm hoping that's a real thing because I will probably buy it. And uh, <laughs> so you can find it on the Amazon link if you cannot find it at your local brick and mortar store because we do want to support small businesses. If you, but if you still want to send some money towards Fanboy Planet, because you know, going to WonderCon that wasn't free. No, no, no not at all. Uh, going it's free for me. Yeah, well, because you didn't go. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's all right. But you'll be at Comic Con and a big wow. And uh, so, anyway, uh, you can donate on the PayPal uh, button that is helpfully placed there on every page. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, reaction to these interviews, if you want to hear more of that, we're going to try to get more guests. We always do. Uh, you can write to editor at fanboyplanet.com. I'm Derek McCaw. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use your powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. The power of brains compels you. Okay, I think we got this down. (laughs) (laughs) Fanboy.